This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Welcome to Sourcing Journal Radio our weekly check-in with apparel insiders and thought leaders, which spotlights a variety of topics currently driving change in the market. I am Edward Hertzman, founder and president of Sourcing Journal. Today, we'll discuss the challenge of bringing a source-verified product to market, consumer expectations, and why it may be good for some apparel and home goods executives to spend a few days on a farm. Joining us today, we have David Greenstein, CEO of Hemat Sinka America, one of the largest wholesalers of home textiles in the United States. Under David's tenure, the company launched the world's first fully traceable cotton with the brands Pimacot and Homegrown. Additionally, we have Cannon Michael, a sixth-generation farmer and president of family-owned Bowles Farming Company and chairman of the California Cotton Growers Association. David Cannon, thank you for being with us today. It's my pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having me. So, Cannon, um, I'd like to start with you. For those who may be unsure, can you explain what Pima cotton is, its advantages, and how the way in which it's grown might differ from other types of cotton? Sure. Uh, Pima cotton is a is a genetic variety of cotton. It's a specific uh, genetic variety. So it is, uh, it's not identifying a region, it's identifying an actual variety of cotton uh, that was discovered uh, initially over 100 years ago. And then it's been obviously developed uh, over time uh, to even improve on the characteristics that it uh, that it has. So uh, it is a unique uh, cotton in that it has a very long, strong uh, fiber length. Uh, so it can be used in uh, very high quality products uh, from uh, sheets to shirts and uh, and beyond, but uh, mostly the mostly the higher end products that require a, a finer thread. Um, again, it's very specific to the to the California area. California grows ninety uh, percent uh, plus of the Pima cotton, and uh, so very very unique and and very special cotton uh, to us here. So, David, you you know. In the intro, I mentioned that you launched the world's first fully traceable uh, cotton. Um, explain how your tracking system works and why it is necessary. Uh, so obviously, because we're dealing with such a special varietal of cotton, uh, which is both um, unique in its physical properties and also uh, uh, unique in its pricing structure, it's more expensive than con- uh, conventional upland cottons. Um, the the 
use of Pima over the years uh, has been, uh, let's just say, manipulated. There's been more Pima uh, uh, product in the markets with labels that say it's Pima, 100% Pima, uh, than actually Pima is grown in the world. And so we realized back in 2014 uh, that we didn't know enough about uh, where our cotton was coming from as a company. And if we were going to continue to make uh, the claim that our product was indeed 100% Pima, we wanted to find mechanisms uh, to ensure that. And uh, what happened was an incredible adventure because actually going back into a supply chain to a farm and linking a shelf to a farm in the cotton supply chain with uh, any type of definacy had never really been done before. And so... We had this very unique opportunity because we found a technology provider um, to help us. Uh, the way I best describe it is like we're, t- we're, we're, we're 10 pin bowlers and the technology partner put up the bumpers so that our ball didn't go into the gutter. And so uh, we found this technology partner that was creating these very unique signatures from DNA and applying them at one part per trillion uh, to the cotton at, at the gin, uh, which is the first stage that the cotton goes through in its processing really close to the farm. And in this way, we could take Pima cotton and put a DNA marker in it and then therefore identify it as our Pima cotton, which we then branded Pima cotton. Using this marker, we could then um, have a way to trace our cotton, our specific cotton, uh, through the supply chain Uh, as it traveled overseas through the different nodes of production and all the way back to the shelf where the forensic evidence of its origination is embedded in the cotton itself. David, what's the likelihood that products with the Pima cotton label are really 100% Pima cotton if there's no tracking solution like the one you described in place? So we've seen some... um, uh, Unfortunately, over the, uh, it was very difficult to, to tell... Pima uh, cotton genetically. Um, I don't know if you know this, but um, it was thought that the DNA that's in cotton that differentiates it, the DNA that you could easily find in the cotton when it's uh, alive, uh, in the leaf of the product or in the seed of the product, uh, when cotton blooms, that DNA kind of gets eaten up. And so it was commonly believed for many, for many years that there was no residual DNA uh, left in cotton and therefore there was no real good way of telling Pima cotton from other cottons uh, 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 using a DNA test. So Applied DNA Sciences, the same people that, that work with us on the tagant, uh, also uh, broke through with technology to find residual DNAs uh, that could tell the difference between Pima cotton, uh, this varietal we call Barbadense, and Upland cottons, the cotton varietal that we call Hesuta. And uh, these tests started coming out showing that uh, the large majority of product that was in the market, uh, whether it be sheets or shirts, towels, um, other products claiming the Pima, 100% Pima, were in fact uh, uh, heavily blended. Uh, I think this first group of tests showed almost uh, a high 70%, low 80% rates of blending. Sometimes... Uh, products was labeled Pima cotton. We couldn't find any Pima at all. Um, so it's a, it's a problem that was uh, was extremely, extremely rife uh, when we started out. 
uh, and we've been doing uh, uh, testing all the way through till today. I would say that the standard that Pima Cot has set has in fact uh, improved people's behavior in general. Uh, we still see a, a, a large uh, miss rate in, uh, in misrepresentation when we look at com um, consumer products that are competing with us. Uh, but the situation is definitely slowly getting better. Well, you kind of answered my, my follow-up question is, in what ways are consumers getting shortchanged when they're, or may, might be getting shortchanged when buying unverified products today? And it seems that uh, in many cases they may be. Um, if there is no way to trace the supply chain, um, it could just be a, a claim that they're making. It could be greenwashing. It could be a, ver a variety of, they may not even know what, what's happening. Um, it could be good intentions gone wrong. Um, but is this something that you think is more prevalent than than the industry may hope for or expects? Yeah, it's it's it uh, was ridiculously prevalent. It's now, I would say, still quite prevalent. Um, and 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 you're quite right, Eddie, about the consumer. The consumer is being shortchanged in multiple ways. Um, they're being shortchanged because they're paying for a product. Uh, you know, Pima is a premium fiber and makes a premium product. So they're paying paying for a premium product that they're not getting. And sometimes it's a little bit difficult uh, for them initially to feel or see the difference. But uh, as Canon said earlier, Pima is very unique in its both its fineness and its strength. And so over time, uh, definitely uh, uh, blending with Pima or not using Pima at all, you'd start seeing um, issues with your with your product that you wouldn't expect to see with Pima. And then the other obvious issue is like, so if it's not Pima uh, that's in the product, what is it and where did it come from? So, so Canon, as a farmer, does being part of a verified supply chain affect the economics of your job or affect the decisions as to what you grow each season? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think this is uh, such a unique uh, opportunity, really kind of the, the first of its uh, of its kind. It's, it's very hard to have this... Uh, high level of, of uh, traceability. And I, I would say from a farmer's standpoint, um, you know, every crop that we grow is very unique and important to us. And I, you know, the, the average public is a little bit removed from what we do now as farmers, but we put a lot of care and uh, concern and, and uh, money into growing each crop that we grow. And, uh, you know, the idea that, uh, that when it would leave our farm, that it would somehow become, you know, adulterated and and blended uh, obviously is something that that is uh, very disconcerting, uh, you know, as a farmer who is able to grow a unique product and and does so with the highest level of care and uh, and concern, uh, both for the environment and for our workers. Um, you know, it it, is, it has been something that uh, we really would like to make sure that the consumer does end up with uh, you know with the product they're supposed to have. And obviously, from a consumer standpoint, now I think what we're seeing is uh, is a more educated consumer that is. Uh, concerned about how things are produced and and really rightly should be especially in the uh, the cotton space um, I think if you look at uh, cotton production throughout the world there's a lot of uh, environmental and ethical uh, consequences um, that have been pretty well known um, but it's been hard in the supply chain to uh, to get those uh, get those uh, weeded out because it's uh, such a global uh, industry and, and the cotton's moving all over. So it's very hard to, uh, to ensure that integrity, but obviously a, a consumer uh, consumers around the world, I think we all have some cotton either on our beds or on our bodies, uh, in our closets. Uh, it's a fiber, natural fiber that people like obviously. And, and it's something that, um, I see for the long-term economics for us, if we can, 
if we can again uh, have a verified supply chain, uh, like David mentioned, there's uh, there's more Pima, you know, quote quote Pima that's in the market. Uh, that's you know because of this non-verification, uh, that that supply has been kind of diluted and stretched out. So I, I hope I hope that if we can you know narrow that and uh, reward the people who are doing uh, the hard work of of growing cotton in the in the right way, and the consumer then can be connected to uh, to folks that uh, again are responsible and and uh, that are treating their workers well, and and also concerning and respect you know concerned and respected uh, the environment. And so um, it's very important to me, and and I do see uh, economic value in in participating in this program. And uh, it's also just the right thing to do. It's the right thing for the consumer, and it's the right thing for the farmer. So we've been uh, been very encouraged, and uh, David's been a great uh, partner and and leader in this. And and I'm we're just happy to be a part of it. So I guess I mean you, you kind of answered my next question, but I think that's that is it so important for Pimacot to be able to track its fibers from from farms to store shelves for exactly this point to make sure that the consumers are getting exactly what they're paying for to, to ensure that th- these crops that you're planting while they may be you know more expensive in the supply chain and and you have to ensure whether it's just through dna testing and whatnot that it's in, in fact what um you know the the buyers are asking for but is it so that you make sure that you're delivering a product and you're not getting cheated by others that are trying to shortchange the process? I see it as part, partially that and then, and then just that ability to connect the consumer in a unique way that's really never, never been possible um, to, to really prove this cotton came from California, this cotton came from, you know, these specific growers. I mean, it's, it's really revolutionary. And again, so there is that, you know, we want to make sure people get the right quality and, and we want to make sure that those things happen. But we also want people to be able to kind of access the story of who's producing it. It's not just supposedly coming from somewhere. It's, it's actually verifiably coming from somebody that you can uh, count on and you can see who they are and you can learn about them. And I think as we're seeing evidence, uh, you know, millennials are interested in, you know, connecting and more people are getting interested in connecting and now technology is giving us that opportunity. So David, I could almost with uh, a lot of certainty say that many retailers, factory owners, service providers, et cetera, et cetera, um, have never been to a cotton farm. Uh, how could taking the, the cotton farmers and the growing process into account help the entire supply chain? Um, so, yeah, I think that your, uh, your assumptions are correct. Um, in fact, I am a living example of that. I've been in the industry since 1982, and in 2014, 32 years uh, after later, I met Cannon. And I stood on his farm, and uh, it was uh, October of uh, 2014, uh, that was just before the harvest, and uh, I met a cotton farmer. And it was a very visceral and emotional experience for me because all these years I had been involved in cotton, uh, but I'd never been on a cotton farm. I'd never appreciated what went into actually raising a cotton crop. I'd never really truly understood the values of different practices and different regionalities and different um, uh, varietals of cotton. And I also hadn't a good understanding of what actually uh, makes uh, cotton farmers tick, like what, what, what are, what's important to them and how could we work better with them to make sure that they get what's important to them while they give us what's important to us, which is a long-term sustainable supply. And uh, the reason that 
myself for 32 years and most of uh, the people you mentioned, retailers, factory owners, service providers, have never been to a cotton farm, is not by chance. It's the way the industry is designed. Um, because the industry is designed that cotton should be anonymous. Uh, cotton is a traded commodity. And uh, so by definition, the ability to jump in and out of a spot market uh, to substitute this cotton with that cotton, to almost uh, cut off uh, the, um, the line of communication to the farmer is inherently built into the way cotton supply chains work. And um, that's why most cotton that's actually bought and sold is never delivered because it's bought and sold in futures. And, uh, and, and therefore, sometimes we don't really understand whether um, prices go up or down, for instance, because of real supply or demand or just because of market manipulators. These are huge issues uh, that our cotton supply chain uh, faces and even uh, aggravated by the fact that then we take this cotton and transport it around the world to multiple sites for manufacture, uh, um, especially in the home textile business, maybe many years ago, when the mills were alive, uh, you could hear the, the, the weaving from the harvester, but that doesn't exist anymore. So, so meeting the cotton farmer is something that is super important. And I'm really proud because um, Canon, uh, as a cotton farmer, opened himself up to creating a non, uh, let's just say, a non-institutional uh, relationship, a relationship where we would create our, our own supply chain, a farmer, a spinner, a weaver manufacturer and dyer, a cut and sew operation, a retailer, a wholesaler and a retailer. So we think that in 2014, when we all met and we all sat around the table, that we were the first example of, um, of a group of people who were so intrinsically tied together by our product but had never met. We think this is the first time maybe in, uh, in anybody's re uh, uh, knowledge that uh, all the players, uh, from the grower to the retailer, were sitting at the same table discussing uh, the same issues. And that was uh, something uh, that really gave me the motivation to make this work and, and, and really made us understand we were doing the right thing. So, Cannon, what do you wish people understood about your job and your connection to the land and the cotton you produce? Well, it's uh, it's one of those things that farming is really a labor of of love, and and again, here in California, we we have a very uh, specific uh, set of regulatory uh, uh, levels that we have much higher levels of regulatory uh, oversight than uh, most other areas in the world, and so um, you know, I think all farmers have have a level of dedication. But uh, we have very high levels of standards that are actually, you know, mandated and enforced with uh, with enforceable penalties here if we don't uh, follow the rules. And so uh, we do the right thing to protect our workers and and to do the right thing to protect our environment. And then also, you know, there's accountability if if, if farmers here don't comply with those things. So um, I just that the story of who your farmer is, you know, every day that every day we wear clothes and every day we eat um, and no matter what our passions are uh, or our causes that we fight for, uh, we, we do need to be clothed and, and fueled uh, to do that. And so your, your food and your fiber is going to come from somewhere. 
and it's important uh, really to be able to to look through and see who is doing uh, the right thing and uh, can you feel good about the products that you're that you're sourcing and ultimately uh, you know we have a lot of pride here in, in what we do here in California and we also have the verifiable uh, standards to back up uh, back up what we do and and kind of give the consumer the ability to understand that uh, that they're that all cotton first of all is not the same in terms of quality and also uh, all farmers are not necessarily the same and all regions are not the same and so um, that that's probably the the biggest thing is this link between us and, and finally being able to, to touch back to the consumer so David uh, it's just one last question can you speak to the demand in the market for products that you that are source verified? Are you seeing more retailers seeking out products like this? If so, what's driving this trend? So as I said to you before, the, the, the visit to the farm uh, made me realize that uh, uh, most retailers thought of their product as an industrial product. Uh, they thought of a cotton shirt or a cotton sheet or a cotton towel as, the, uh, in, as an industrial product. And therefore, most of their verification efforts were at the point of industry. In other words, and normally at the end of that point. In other words, they'd send in their verifiers and their and their and their testers, and they'd pull samples from the end of a production run, uh, which is very common. Obviously, Eddie, you know this well. The reason is that everybody forgot that actually what goes into making this product is actually agricultural. And so, where when we're talking about pure agricultural products like food, for instance. Uh, uh, grocery ve vegetables and fruit that are sold. Uh, source ver verification to a farm is is much more important than it is ever for us. So the first uh, piece of education that had to ha that has to happen that's that we're trying to make happen that's continually happening is making the consumer drive the retailer to understand that textile cotton textile products are actually an agricultural product that goes through industrial processing. And therefore, its source, its agricultural source, where it was grown, how it was grown, what were the labor practices, what were the environmental practices, what is the quality, uh, what is the genus, um, who grew it uh, to the individual uh, becomes more and more important. So the question is, so the first question is to educate the, the, the retailer to understand that, the, uh, the, that our products are agricultural. And the second part of it is for them to understand that there is a massive difference between transparency, traceability, and verified traceability, which are the three kind of levels that we keep touting. So we look for retailers that have a, a transparent attitude, they want to do the right thing. We look for retailers that want to make sure that their claims are real by tracing it back. And then we look for retailers who are really interested in making sure that that is verified. So the question you ask is, what is the demand for source verified products? This is a very, very, uh, uh, currently quite a niche group of people who can say we can actually verify a source. We count ourselves lucky to be the among the initiators of this new claim, this new ability to source verify an agricultural product in the, in the apparel and textile supply chain. And as we proliferate, as we tell our story, as we connect Canon with the consumer, as the consumer starts to feel emotional about their world, the environment, uh, the quality of the product they have, they'll, we hope the consumer will start more and more to demand that retailers and brands do the right thing, 
and that more and more companies will uh, start to understand the difference uh, between agricultural and industrial products and understand the difference between traceability and verified traceability. David and and Cannon, um, I really want to thank you for taking the time to be with us today. This this is an ongoing conversation. Um, obviously, sustainability, traceability is becoming more and more important in the supply chain. And I'm, I'm sure this is the first of many conversations we're going to have together. Um, just want to thank you again for your time and look forward to speaking again uh, soon. Thanks for listening. To hear more insightful conversations like this, be sure to subscribe to Sourcing Journal Radio on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and tune in. Also get your ticket now to the Sourcing Journal Summit in New York on October 11th. We'll be bringing together a slate of provocative thought leaders to discuss the challenges that face the industry as we move forward towards Sourcing 5.0. Hear from Rick Darling, Executive Director of Lee and Fung's LF Americas, Steve Lamar, Executive Vice President of the American Apparel and Footwear Association, Karen Moon, CEO and co-founder of Trendalytics, Isaac Korn, Director of Innovation and Automation for Perry Ellis, and many more as we discuss the impact of the trade war, the ongoing retail recovery, and how technology is transforming retail. Visit our site, sourcingjournal.com, for more details.